Hey, this is DJ, and you're listening to the Traveling on Purpose podcast. I'm a travel hacker and personal finance coach, and I'm here to teach you how to travel for free or for a fraction of the cost. In this podcast, I'll share my tips and tricks on how to earn points and miles, get free flights and hotels, and save money on your next trip. I'll also interview other travel hackers and experts to learn more about the latest trends and strategies. So whether you're a beginner or a seasoned traveler, I hope you'll find this podcast helpful and informative. So sit back, relax, and get ready for takeoff. Now I get to ask you this question I was wondering earlier, which is, you said you didn't really enjoy writing growing up. I have yeah. no idea how you go from that <laughs> to now you're a writer. What? Yeah, yeah no, my dad's probably, if he was alive, he'd be like, what is happening? I don't Yeah. It's like, when I, obviously you had to do, write a lot for your English classes growing up. And mm -hmm. for me, it was always, getting started was always like the hard part. Once I started, then I, it was like diary of the fingers. You're, you're spitting things out. Uh, and sometimes I go way over the word count when I write. Because I'm like, look, I'm not going to shortchange the readers. I want to make sure that I'm talking about this thing fully, not just because I'm trying to hit a hard word count for the client. But yeah, so my son also has trouble with writing sometimes because he's also very much number-oriented like I am. And so I, I tell him, I said, look, I approach writing kind of like a formula for, for words, essentially. So look, your intro is, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to, I'm telling you what I'm going to, what I'm going to talk about. Obviously you talk about the topics and then at the end, here's what I, here's like the summary of what I just told you. It, it varies with clients. Sometimes the client will literally just give you a title. Here you go. Go other clients. Here's a hard and fast outline. Don't deviate from it. Here's what we want. Other clients, it's here's like a suggested outline, kind of fill in and make adjustments as you see fit. Right. And so every client's a little bit different that way. And so a lot of times what I'll do, because, and this is where I get stopped up a lot. And then also my son gets stopped up is how do I start this? Yeah. How oh do gosh. I start it? It's a blank yeah. page. Yeah. So what I'll do is I'm going to look, you don't have to write in a linear fashion. This isn't like a story. You're telling the story of me or you, you're just literally answering things about a topic. And so you can, you can bounce around and build momentum on answering the things that are easy for you to do. And so that's what I'll do. A lot of times I'll write the frequently asked questions first. I'll write some details first. And that way it's okay. I'm priming the pump. I'm getting the juices flowing and then, okay, now I have some momentum and bam, I knock out the rest of it. Oh, that's, I hadn't thought of doing like the FAQ first. Like what are people going to, when they see the title of this article, what are they going to want to get from this? And yeah, that's a really smart approach. Do you remember how you got your first writing job? You write for some pretty big companies now. <laughs> how did it start? Oh yeah. No, I actually the first client I ever got. I don't know that they ever published any of them because they were a janky website that they were still figuring things out. And it just, I don't think they got it all figured out. But really what it started out was for many years, actually this year is FinCon is going back to New Orleans. And FinCon is a personal finance community where it's like personal finance content creators talking about investing in real estate and debt payoff and mm -hmm. early financial retirement and everything else like that, like the fire movement. So I go there just because I'm like, I love talking about money. I love learning about money. And I want to, I want to be around some of these people. And so I started going to that conference. The first year was 2014 in New Orleans. This year, 2023, it's in New Orleans again. So it's coming full circle, which is really cool. So, but I just, I just went there partly just to be around money people. And it's always good to be around smart people that talk about the topics that you really like, but also figured, okay, I can learn from them as far as how to improve my site, how to do things better. Uh, and I never had any intention of being a freelance writer. I had a really good job when I left. 
Uh, I'll show you the show the article with you. So I had zero desire to leave because I was doing so well. There were times where I would go like three or four months and not post anything on my site, right? But I started going there and just becoming friends with people, hanging out with them and, and stuff like that. And then they knew you talk to your friends about what's going on in your life. They knew it was like I was looking to leave, but I wasn't quite sure exactly what I wanted to do, right? I was talking to some of my friends. I'm like, hey, you guys do really well with freelance writing. Like, how does this work? How do you charge? Like, how do you find clients? And stuff like that. So I interviewed probably, I don't know, four, five, six of my friends, like Sarah Lee Kane and Miranda Markwood and Holly Johnson and Ben Luthi. But a bunch of my friends that like, it's really surreal. Like sometimes I'm searching up topics and I, yeah. oh, this article's written by my friend oh my <laughs> and everything. So it's really cool about that. And when it came time to leave, there was my buddy, Jason Steele. He runs a conference called CardCon. And I yeah. went the year before. Basically, it's like for credit card writers, people that write about credit cards and get able to talk with the banks, find out like new things that are happening in the credit card world. And actually this year, it's going to be in Nashville. So it's cool. I don't have to like- Perfect. But so I was going there and he ran a contest where the first person that registered the following year would win a special prize. He's like, I don't know what the prize is, but just <laughs> register. And of course, like being like a numbers person and wanting to win, I'm like, oh, pfft. Boom. I registered mm -hmm. really quick and I was the first person. And he reached out to me. He's like, hey, so what do you want? He's like, I have a bunch of miles and points. I can fly you to the conference next year in Orlando. I said, nah, I don't really need that. I have my own miles and points. And I think we're actually going to drive so that way we don't have to rent a car and everything. I said, what I really want and need is I know you're a freelance writer. If you can introduce me to some clients, that would be way more valuable than any prize you can wow. provide to me. And so he did. And that actually helped my transition because he referred me to a client that I did some piecemeal work. And then once I quit my corporate job, I actually turned into a, just a monthly retainer for them. And I worked with them for probably seven or eight months. And so that was really cool. My buddy, Ben actually gave me my first client. He said, look, I have a client that they don't pay enough to like, make it work my while, but yeah. it, it could be a good starter client for you. It was like write a thousand words on insurance topics for like a hundred bucks. And oh. so it was like 10 cents a word. Okay. So I, I did that. I probably did like five or six articles for them. And I don't know that they published any of them, maybe yeah. one of them. And it took a while to get paid from them and something like uh, that. But it's like learning curves, hiccups and everything like that when you first start. But overall, that gave me the confidence that, hey, look, I can do this. And it's one of the clients that I got, I wrote for them for, for probably two or three years. And at the beginning, some of the articles were probably like 2,500 words. And man, it would take me sometimes eight or nine hours to write this stupid article for them. <laughs> That's stupid. There are good topics and they're valuable topics. Mm -hmm. It was frustrating to me. I'm like, why is this taking so long? And it's like anything, whether you're running a race, training for a marathon or whatever, when you first start, you are slow and it is difficult. And there's a lot of things you don't know. And it, it just took me forever. And now that same article, I could probably knock out in two to three hours. The versus eight. Whoa. It's like any muscle that you're developing, you're getting better. I found different tools that I use uh, that also improve my writing. Cause again, I'm much more of a numbers person even mm -hmm. today, but I use these different tools like Grammarly and stuff like that, that yeah. help improve my writing and highlight errors or highlight some words that, eh, like that maybe this isn't the best <laughs> way to, to say this. Yeah. Like that. So it gives me a little bit of a crutch. It gives me a little bit more confidence in my writing by using these tools. And now like. I do really well with writing and it's been a long journey with it and it's been an interesting journey and something that if I can do it, somebody that literally didn't apply for any colleges were burning right. to now turn into a full-time freelance writer where I make majority of my money from writing, anybody can do it. Oh my gosh. That is, 
very inspiring for me. I love to explain things to people, but boy, oh boy, is writing extremely tough. So it's good to know that with practice, you can build up this skill. And if for someone who's looking to get into writing, what tips would you have? And then what rates should they expect? Like, how does it even pay generally? Yeah. A couple of different things. One, I recommend starting your own site because look, as much as it's good to get paid, you're writing about the topics that they want you to write about. Okay. But if you're really passionate about other topics or there's something that like some clients, they give you the topics. Some clients want pitches and sometimes you pitch topics that they're not interested in, right? They're like, no, that's not going to work for SEO. There's not enough search traffic. It's not going to fit well within our site, or we already have an article covering that, but you really want to write it. So have your own site, one, to write about the topics you like, but also it shows that kind of a portfolio for clients that you're talking to as far as potential business. On top of that, reach out to websites that you really enjoy that you maybe interact with on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or in the comments section, reach out to those people and say, Hey, I really like to be able to write a guest post for you. Look at your site. I, I see you don't have X, Y, Z topics. And I like to help fill in that gap for you. So you're providing value to them. And once you publish on somebody else's page, now it gives you a little bit more legitimacy. They don't know whether or not that person paid you. That person's not going to tell anybody whether or not they paid you. And so when you reach out to a client, say, here's my site with some samples, but here's some samples of client articles that I've written. And so now you have that on their site. I would say on your own site, write, I have a portfolio page on my site, right? Here's some examples of my clients that I've worked with now or in the past. You pick out your best assignments that you're really proud of. You put it on the page. And again, people don't know whether or not you got paid for those or you did those as a guest post or whatever, right? Yeah. That's a good way to start building that portfolio. Also put it on, there's a website called Contently. It's a way for you to put your portfolio out there for people to discover you. Uh, and so that's a way to really start building your stuff. As far as like rates go, it varies. It varies on the industry. Like a lot of the areas I write about, like in personal finance and real estate, insurance and credit cards, those have a little bit higher rates because there's more money in them, right? Credit card affiliate links, you pay really well. And so the rates of those are higher rates on, I don't know, like a nonprofit or, or whatever, like maybe a little bit lower because maybe there's not as much money in it. Maybe it's harder for them to monetize that content. So they don't have as much budget to be able to pay for it. So like any business, especially if you're a business for yourself, and that's what really how you got to treat this, you're always looking to replace your worst client with a better one. And so as you're starting off, look, you may get paid really low. You may get paid five cents, 10 cents, 15 cents, whatever a word, as you're building up your portfolio, as you're building up your skill, as you're building up your reputation in the industry. But as you gain more experience and writing improves, and one of the ways you can tell that your writing improves is you're getting very few edits back from your editor. If you're getting, think of it like school, right? If your teacher hands back a piece of paper that has tons and tons of red marks on it, eh, maybe it didn't do so well. You got to slip a little more. Same thing with when you're turning in an assignment to a client, if there's all these different things, hey, we need this and this, like, rewrite this section, X, Y, and Z. If there's a lot of edits, okay, you need to step up your game. You need to figure out how to improve. If you get back no edits or very little, it's a good sign, right, for you. Sure. And it's, look, now it's time for me to boost things up, right? And <laughs> that's a good marker for yourself. But I equate it, like I said, that you're always looking to replace your worst client with a better one. And worst client isn't necessarily monetary. Sometimes the highest paid clients sometimes are a pain in the butt, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's like, eh, you pay really well, but it's not really worth the hassle 
the deal yeah. with you. Uh, so I need to replace you. Sometimes it's a, a really low paying client. Again, I worked for them for a couple of years and they went from being one of my best clients to somebody that they were substantially lower than all my other clients. And I reached out to them. I said, hey, look, I really like working with you. The topics are really interesting. You're very good people, just chatting friendly wise and everything else. Can we bump up your rates to match my next lowest paid client? And I would love to continue working with you. And they said, sorry, that's above our budget. We don't have money for that. So it was tough. I was in a situation where I'm like, okay, what do I do? How do I move forward now? Because in a sense, like they called your bluff, right? Yeah. You're like, hey, I want more money. They're like, oh, sorry, we don't have it. So now the ball's back in your court. You got to make a decision. And I was getting probably two articles a week from them consistently, even yeah. during COVID. And when a lot of other clients really backed off. And so they made up about 20% of my revenue that year. So they were low in paying, but just with the volume made up a really sizable dollar volume. Yeah. And I had to choose, right? And I bet on myself. I said, okay, it's been nice working with you and I'm going to find other clients. And they were nice. And they said, okay, we totally understand. And if you have capacity some months and want more business, then let us know. And we'd be happy to work with you at that rate. So, okay. And then at that same month, through different referrals and stuff like that, and outreach out efforts I did, I actually, that was like the, one of my highest paid months ever. Not all of them have been that way, but it was great. And so it's like a sign, Hey, you made the right choice and you're moving forward. And every year that I've written from 2018 to now, every year it has improved. So even during COVID, yeah. when I literally lost 75% of my business, because when you focus on credit cards and travel and yes. points and all of a sudden it's COVID there's a pandemic and nobody's traveling and nobody's getting credit cards, especially because all the banks were trying to preserve capital and they cut back all the affiliate links. They completely shut them down. So these sites aren't making money. So they can't make money. They can't pay you because they're not getting any money. And so I then pivoted and now I'm much more diversified as far as my topics are running a lot about real estate and insurance and mm -hmm. investing and banking and everything like that. I still write a lot about credit cards, but now it's a little bit more diversified as far as the topics go. So that's very helpful because you never know what part of the industry, uh, what part of the economy is, is going to falter, whether it's the overall economy or just different situations that happen within each of those different industries. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I can't even imagine like what that would have been like to see all of this revenue disappear practically. It was scary. Like It was scary. And at the time, some of my clients were hiring and I actually went through the hiring process was one of them just to see how it was to create a contingency plan for myself. Yeah. Luckily, based on the fire mentality and stuff like that, like mm. we kept our expenses low and those types of things. It wasn't like an emergency situation, but hey, you're a little scared, right? Because you never know what's happening. And one of the reasons why I didn't take that job was they were pretty flexible as far as work-life balance and everything like that, but they wanted me to shut down my podcast and shut down my website oh. uh, because they saw it as competing. Yeah. I'm like, I can't do that. I'm like, if you bought my site and bought my right. podcast, then maybe we can talk and give me a huge <laughs> signing bonus and we can talk, but I'm not going to shut down 10 years worth of effort or for a paycheck. I'd rather just suffer a little bit, not make as much money yeah. and you know, struggle through whatever time that was happening during COVID. I'm seeing a pattern with you. You are willing to take a bet on yourself. I don't know where that comes from. Maybe just like being a kid and seeing yourself succeed in these different challenges. It seems like these days you're like, if I have to choose between giving up something that I love or selling a part of myself, like my soul, 
or just going for it and betting on myself, I'm going to bet on myself. I think it'll work out. Is that true? Is that kind of how you feel? I think so. Yeah. I figure money is obviously it takes a lot of hard work to make the money, but there's always ways to make money, especially in today's economy with all the different gigs and everything like that. It may not be great money, but there's always ways to make money. And if you're willing to work hard and learn and adapt, yeah. you can definitely do that. Completely agree. I almost look at it as for all practical purposes, there's, there's a limitless amount of money out there. And if you have that mindset of there's opportunity versus a more of a scarcity mindset, you tend to see those opportunities. If they wanted to hire you to write today, what kind of rates are we looking at? In case anyone's listening, they're like, ah, oh, I got to get this guy. Huh? Yeah. Most new clients I'm taking on today are like in the 50 to 60 cents a word. So like in a round number for a thousand word articles, like 500 bucks, basically. Okay. So good. Glad to know that. I'm glad you decided to keep your blog. Thank you for not giving that up. Actually, can you tell people the URL for your blog? Yeah. So the URL is bald thoughts. So I'm bald. And always thinking about things, right? You see my shiny, happy disco ball on top of my head uh, on the logo there. What I say on that site is I teach people how to travel more, spend less, and live better. Uh, that's really the overarching philosophy of trying to maximize the value of all the dollars that you're spending to get as much value for yourself. And a lot of that is through miles and points and uh, turning your everyday average spending into miles and points that you can redeem for awesome travel experiences. Travel more, spend less live better. Did I get that right? Yep. Yeah. That People will hear that and be like, how do you travel more and spend less? But this is what we're telling you is that it's completely possible. And I know the game has changed a bit over time, but would you say there's still tons of opportunities out there to earn points, miles, travel more and spend less? Absolutely. Especially, obviously there's a little uncertainty with the economy right now. And as long as you are somebody that takes care of your credit, there are so many credit card bonuses right now that are 100,000 miles and points or higher. It is so easy to earn those. You have to be careful. Some of them have higher spending requirements in order to be able to earn the bonus. You never want to do it unless you can make sure you can just hit it based on your normal spending or you match up getting a card with a big expense. Like maybe you're remodeling your home. You got some big car repairs. You got tuition bill for your kid, something like that. That's an easy way to hit some of these larger spending requirements. It's money you're going to spend anyways. And now you can hit it, get those bonuses. Some of these bonuses are worth $1,500 to $2,000. And it's almost like they're just throwing money at you. But again, if you can refrain from overspending and you can keep your credit pristine and do the right things as far as keeping yourself on target for your financial freedom, then though like the sky's unlimited for you. Like the banks want people, I used to work for the bank. I understand all the different models that they use. They want people that have good credit, especially heading into uncertain times, because they know that you're going to pay your bill. They don't want charge-offs. They don't want people that are going late. And yeah, they like the late fees. They like collecting them. They like charging you high rates of interest. But what's better than getting that interest is actually getting repaid on the amount that you borrowed. That's really what it is. And you'll see that some of your friends, maybe that have lower credit scores, some of them are talking about they're getting letters that their card is being closed that their credit limit is being reduced. That's because banks are batting down the hatches, worried about turbulent waters ahead. If you keep your credit score clean, you got 720, 740 plus credit scores, then you can still keep getting a lot of these great offers and earning hundreds of thousands of miles of points every year. But to the people who would say, isn't it bad to get credit cards? Isn't this somehow going to mess me up 
you know, what mess up my credit score. Are there any myths you'd like to bust? Like kind of myths that you run into on a regular basis? The number one myth is sometimes people think that they have to carry a balance in order to improve their credit score. That is absolutely not true. Do not fall for that. That's people just probably thinking from the bank's point of view, like they want to earn interest on your money. The, the ideal thing that you do is you charge and pay it off. Charge, pay it off. Avoid carrying a balance because credit card interest rates, especially with the Fed has been raising rates so much, credit card interest rates are easily in the upper teens to the 20s and in some cases in the 30s. So that is a huge amount of interest. My dad was a bankruptcy attorney. I used to see people in bad situations all the time with credit card debt. And I definitely want people to avoid that. So that's number one. Number two is getting too many credit cards is going to ruin your credit score. When you first apply for a card, you'll get a hit of probably three to five points on your credit, right? It's a new inquiry that takes up about 10 to 15% of your credit score. And so your credit score will drop initially, right? It also may drop a little bit because another 10 to 15% of your credit score is based on the average age of your credit. So the impact of that varies depending upon how robust or how thin your credit profile is, right? So for me, I have a bunch of credit. I have loans for my real estate properties and stuff like that. A new account really doesn't affect my average age very much at all. But for somebody who maybe only has a couple cards, a couple loans, that may trigger a drop in your average age below five years, and that can lower your credit score. But what will happen is they call it the utilization ratio, which is basically your credit limit versus like how much you borrowed. That makes up about a third of your credit score. And so that is the biggest one. So you'll have an initial drop when you apply. But once the credit card posts to your credit bureau, to the report there, what will happen is your score will actually jump up because say you have right now two credit cards of $5,000 each, right? And you have outstanding $4,000 between the two of them. So your credit utilization is at 40% right now. Uh, and that's high. Your banks are generally want to be below 30 and technically you want to be below 10% to get the best credit score. But you want to try to stay below 30% in cumulative as well as on, on every card. So you get another credit card. This one has a $10,000 limit. So oh, sweet. So now I went from 10,000 credit limit, 20,000 credit limit, but you haven't changed anything as far as your balance. Your balance is $4,000. So you went from a 40% utilization ratio to a 20% utilization ratio. That'll boost your credit score immediately. That's one of the biggest things that people don't really fully understand. The, your credit score is actually one of the most underutilized assets that people have. And if you can use that properly to take advantage of like these credit card offers, stay with making sure your payments are on time, your utilization ratio stays low and, and everything like that, you kind of space out your applications so you're not getting hit too hard with those credit inquiry drops, temporary as they are. You can maintain a, a really positive credit score to make sure you get the best rates on loans and get approved for the best credit cards. And that is a recipe for success. The number one thing I always do when I get a new credit card is... I register for automatic payment of the minimum amount due. Ideally, you want to pay off the balance in full every month, but hey, life happens. Sometimes there's a big repair that you didn't expect. You didn't have the money for it. You got to carry a balance. Maybe you're not making as much money this month because of commissions or they cut your hours at work or whatever. You got to carry a balance. That's fine. But as long as you make that minimum payment, one, you are avoiding a late fees and two, you're avoiding negative marks on your credit bureau. Register for that minimum payment. Generally, it's going to be, depending upon your balance, anywhere from like $25 to like $100, something like that. It'll happen automatically. It'll happen on the due date. Generally, what I do is I go in and I pay my credit cards like once a week or once every two weeks just to keep the balance low. Because again, from a loan perspective, when I go to do all these different real estate deals, 
what I do is I actually pay my credit card off before the statement because generally, even if you don't carry a balance, they still report a balance to the credit bureaus. So your balance as your statement date is the balance that they report to the credit bureau. Credit bureau doesn't know if you carry that balance from this month to last month or you're just waiting to the statement to pay it off. So by paying off the balance beforehand, I'm reducing my credit utilization ratio down close to zero. I'm reducing or eliminating my my minimum monthly payment requirement. And that way now I'm giving myself as much flexibility as possible when I go to apply for a loan because they look at your credit score, they look at your debt to income ratio, and they look at what the total of your monthly obligations are when they're factoring in your loan application. So this is a way to gain your credit score legally to make sure that you are in the best position possible to get the best rates and terms on any loan that you're doing. Oh, that is a great tip. Yes, people should play that back again, because there's going to be some people who are listening who are wanting to go get their first mortgage. What type of stats do they need to have for the bank to say, yep, you're in a good position? Generally, they look at overall debt to income ratio of 40 to 43% or less. So that's including the mortgage payment. So if you think of what your income is, your gross income, so say you make 60000 a year that's and that's 5000 a month. And so 40% of the 5000 is 2000 And your debt payments, like your student loans, your car payments, your credit card minimum payments, all that, plus your mortgage, including the property taxes and insurance, all that has to be less than $2,000. But so say like you and your spouse are both making 60 grand. Now that's 10 grand a month. So 40% so that's 4,000 a month. So everything has to be basically less than that 4,000. But they also generally like to see cash reserves of three to six months of your mortgage payment. So if your mortgage payment is 1,500 a month, they want to say on the high side, six months of that. So that's nine grand. They want to see in the bank after you've made your down payment and paid for closing costs on the mortgage. Wow. Okay. And just to clarify, that's 60K is before taxes. They're looking at, you said gross. Yeah. So, gross income. Yeah. So it's not take home. It's not your paycheck. It's that you're getting deposited into your account. It's what your salary is or your perfect your income. Yeah. So you get a little bit of help there. Okay. Then with the, let's see, we talked about some of the myths we talked about some of the advantages. And one of the things you said that I, oh, I'd actually never heard it put this way, but I'm going to say it this way from now on. You said your credit score is one of the great, like most underutilized assets that people have. Okay. And what you're saying, if I'm interpreting correctly, is that some people are maybe are walking around with an 850 credit score. And meanwhile, they're paying a ton of money on all these vacations. Is So you're saying it's better to have, actually, let me ask you this. What is the elite credit score. If you have at least this, you're in the same category as someone with an 850. Generally like 740 to 760 is like the cutoff of that, like that, the top end range. Yeah. Um, wow. Things are changing a little bit. And like now in some cases it's 800 or whatever, but realistically, if you're looking for a mortgage, there's very little difference between a 760 and an 850 as wow. far as like the terms you're going to get on the mortgage and the rates you're going to qualify for. The last time I did a mortgage, it's they, most programs have a minimum of 740 to 760. And I'll say this, they use what they call like the median score. So that you get all three, right? You get your transunion, your Equifax, and your Experian. Say one is 750, one is 760, one is 770. They'll use the middle score, which is your 760. Interesting. That's the score that they use. So they look at that. The credit bureaus are trending towards like a, a trended ratio. So they'll look at what's been happening over the last, is it trending down? Is it trending up over the last few months? 
So they'll look at they'll look at that sometimes. I'm trying to think what else they really look at, but it's that middle score. And again, there are ways you can like adjust that. That you want to make sure that you are. This is a little another different hack. You and I, we have businesses, right? Your your business credit cards generally don't report to your credit bureau. So if you're going to carry a balance on any credit card, carry it on your business card because they generally do not report to the credit bureaus as long as you make payments on time. If, if you're in default, like you stop making payments, then, then all sorts of bad things happening. But if you are, again, I have a mixture of a business and personal credit cards. And so if I ever need to carry a balance, it's going to be on the business side because that one is not going to report on my credit bureau, my personal credit bureau. And so I don't, it's not going to affect my credit score other than the initial inquiry. Uh, okay. Yes. Thank you for saying that. A lot of people don't know about the whole difference between business credit cards and personal credit cards and what shows up on your credit report. And so if you have an 850 credit score, you're probably leaving, not probably, you're definitely leaving money on the table. And one of the things you taught us earlier was to think about where you want to go. So for example, let's say, now I know your kids play sports or club sports. You're 12 year old. Yeah, both of them play. Both of them play club soccer. They're also in taekwondo and, and play sports for the school and everything like that. So they're busy a lot. Oof, that means you're busy a lot too. So let's say they have a trip coming up. So the kids have a trip coming up soon. Yeah, did they recently go on one? We're going to Cincinnati for a, a soccer training for the like summer camp. Okay, in July. So basically, I'm using. I, f- I found another Hyatt that was like. 3,500 to 5,000 points a night. So I'm just staying there for those five nights. So if someone is listening with an 850 and they have a trip coming up, you're saying, listen, it's much better to take a five point, 10 point hit, even if it's 10 points, although very unlikely that it would be that and get that trip for free. So go look at where you're headed. Look at what it will take to get there with points, get the card, book the trip for free. Your credit score will very likely recover in short order. So yeah. let's say you get a hard inquiry. Typically, how long until it stops affecting your, or how long until it rolls off, so to speak? So credit inquiries stay in your credit report for up to two years. And they only affect your credit score for six to 12 months. And then by, But in the meantime, the again, the added util- the impact of the utilization ratio why, by having extra credit limit will negate that and actually generally boost your credit score more than it'll harm it after a couple months with it with such reporting to the credit bureau. So yeah, so, yeah there's a, uh-huh. And then the other thing is, look, credit report or credit scores, when you're not applying for credit are just vanity metrics. Who cares what your credit score is? Like literally, unless you're applying for a loan or trying to get an insurance policy, like in some states, credit score affects that or applying for a job because some jobs require you to have good credit right? Like maybe it's you're trying to get government clearance for security or working for a bank or something like that, that you need to have good credit, but they're not requiring an 850. Generally, they want you to have you know, for a bank job or the government job, as long as like you're not crazy in debt and 700 plus, like you have zero worries. So the only time like that credit score really comes into play is when you're applying for a mortgage, a car loan, a boat loan, whatever, so, some sort of loan or applying for an insurance policy. Generally, as long as you keep your credit score above 700, below 700s, mid 700s, it doesn't matter. Like all you're doing is just patting yourself on the back and trying to brag to your friends. Who cares? I'd rather brag to my friends about an awesome trip that I just took. Thank that you. It cost me like about a hundred bucks. 
that's a, that's much more fun to brag about. Let me tell you, as someone who's bragged about that myself, and I know you have <laughs> way more fun to brag about that. We're going to have to actually do a whole episode because I realize there's going to be some people who are listening who might be coming back from bankruptcy. Maybe they went through a chapter seven, chapter 11, something like that. I would love to do an episode with you on how to rebuild your score after post-bankruptcy. I think that could really help a lot of people because some people feel like that's the end of the world and life happens, right? And I always like to tell people, you are not your credit score. Like your credit score is a number, but it doesn't devalue you as a person. So I would, if you're down, it sounds like you are, we're going to come back and do an episode about that. Like I said, my, my dad was a bankruptcy attorney. I saw so many like great people that come through his door that just went through bad times. There were some that uncontrolled spending. They just, (laughs) they didn't learn their lesson, everything like that. But the majority of them, they had a divorce. They lost their job. There was a death in the family, major medical bills, different things that were vastly uncontrollable for them. And they just needed a little bit of breathing room. They just need a little bit of help. And my dad was like so awesome with them. And like the world really missed out when he passed away because he helped just literally every year, 80 to 100 or more people every year recover from debt by filing bankruptcy and getting into a better financial situation. And I have a soft spot for people that are in hard financial times because I've, I saw them. My dad actually, for a while, he had an office and the last years of his life, probably the last decade or so, he moved his office into the house. And so literally we had people coming into our house every multiple times a week, wow. coming in and talking about the situation. And I was right there because I worked for him for many years and we had our cat or our dog, whatever, come over and like put their mind at ease or whatever, because yeah. they were over there petting it and everything like that. And it wasn't like a sterile law office. It was like, it was a home. It was a little more comfortable and it put their mind at ease and put them in a realize, look, this is not the end of the world. Yeah. You, you, yeah. You're going through some tough times right now. We're going to fix it. We're going to help you fix it and put you on the right path to recovering and getting you back towards focusing on future goals instead of paying off previous spending. Wow. That the level of art to, to just take that approach. I can't imagine what that would mean to someone going through that. Wow. And it's interesting that you didn't end up going into that specifically. Do, <laughs> yeah. Do you know why? Money in it for me. <laughs> oh, my, my, like, like a lot of small business people, he cared more about helping people than he cared about making money for himself. Yeah. And a lot of people are really good at what they do, but they're not good at quote, being a business person yeah. and focusing on being hugely profitable and stuff like that. He made enough to survive and take care of himself a little bit, but not enough to create a really rich life for himself. And like some people, like it just, he liked to spend and go out to eat <laughs> and lease cars and stuff like that. It was some bad decisions. Everybody makes mistakes and everything like that. But he was really good at the business side. I did actually go to, I took the LSAT, got a really good score, but then I started law school and I realized this is way too much reading. And like, I was single at the time and I'm like, look, between working and all this reading, I'm never going to have a social life and never going to meet somebody. So I quit. And then... Probably a year later, that's when I met my wife. Wow. So if I had gone through law school, I would never had the spare time to to meet her. So it worked out for me. Let alone do all that traveling y'all were doing. So (laughs) I hope that that speaks to someone out there who was like deciding about whether to follow their heart or do the thing that everyone wants you to do. You just never know what's around the corner. And so you might as well do what it is you believe you should be doing uh, because it could lead to a life-changing situation. And 
the last thing, and you have been so gracious here. This is going to be a two-part episode for sure, just like we predicted from the beginning. There's so much <laughs> to talk about. But thank you for spending time with us. Uh, let's see if we can get a few kind of rapid-fire questions in. So favorite credit card at the moment? It's always my Southwest Priority card just because it has an $149 annual fee, but it gives me a $75 credit every year towards Southwest purchases. So that reduces the cost down to 74 bucks. And then on top of that, you get, I think it's 9,000 points on renewal, wow. or maybe it's 7,000, whatever it is. Basically, the value of those points more than makes up for that that remaining $74 cost, especially when I have the companion pass because it essentially doubles the value of those points. So that's always my favorite, also because all the spending helps me earn my companion pass for the next year. So it's not the most glamorous card. And most bloggers talk about others, but for me, that helps me reach my goals. Oh, yeah, that card will save you so much money. And actually, the first time you ever got the Companion Pass, did you get it from points or did you get it through the typical means of you have to travel 100 flights and you spend this much yeah, money? No, no, with, with, no because what, what I did back then is I gave my dad my, my credit card. And so all his business expenses went on my card. Genius. Yeah. And, uh, Genius. You know, he, he filed like 100 bankruptcies a year and each one of them was anywhere from 750 to 1000 bucks. And so Holy ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. All the miles and points right there, yeah. Whoa, okay. Yeah, I feel like that's a great if you, hack for anybody out there who's got business expenses. You should absolutely have some sort of points and miles card. And let's see, oh, common mistakes newbies make. I would say the one that is most damaging is applying for a bunch of cards and not being able to hit the minimum spend requirement because you did all this work. It affected your credit. You briefly, some cards you get in a situation where you can't apply for them again, like Chase 524 and some of these other rules, and you did all this, and either you don't make the minimum spend requirement because it's just, it's too much, or you overspend in order to hit the minimum spend requirement, and now you're paying all this interest on purchases, and maybe you bought a bunch of stuff that you don't even need, but it's two sides mm-hmm. of the same coin. That minimum spend requirement can be a challenge for some people making bad decisions. Yeah, so if you are... Someone who's just getting started, like you don't have, you can pace yourself maybe one or what's a good pace for a newbie in terms of cards? I generally so, recommend one at one every six months. One every six months. Very comfortable. Very comfortable. Gives you, gives you three or four months to meet that minimum spend requirement or your credit score is recovered. And mm-hmm. now you're focused again and gives you a little time to figure out what's the next thing you want to do. So if you have a trip coming up in, let's say next year that you want to do, this is a great time to get started. Get you That gives you a chance to get two credit cards which would be plenty of points to do some free traveling. Great pace, one one every six months. And then we can build up from there and you can be more like Lee and I. But let's see. And how do you keep track of all this? Uh, Excel? I keep an Excel sheet for just the cards that I've applied for. So that way I know, okay, when's the last time I applied for it, for that bank and everything else. As, well, as far as also how much have I spent? What's the bonus? Have I received it yet? Et cetera. Uh, but as far as just keeping track of miles and points, I use a word wallet. Uh, yeah, it's a it's free tool. There is an up, there is a paid version, but Award Wallet is awesome for keeping track of all your miles and points. That way, you have one spot, whether it's online or on the app, to keep track of your rewards and your elite status, your expiration of, of miles and points. Because sometimes that happens, and so it's it's a great spot to just be able to do everything. And if you pay for it, I think ten bucks every six months or, or something like that. So it's well worth it to make sure you're, you're getting all the benefits if you want the higher level benefits. Otherwise. The free version is perfect for most people. And this is all only something I know because I've looked into it. Southwest Airlines doesn't allow you 
there's a few airlines that don't allow you to log in and it can't scrape the website to get your points. How do you get around that? Because I know you use Southwest a lot. How does it work with Award Wallet? I think, I don't know that they have a workaround for Southwest, but I know they have a workaround for Delta. You can actually, mm-hmm. I think what they do is you basically have some Award Wallet email address that you put into your account and then it forwards the email to them and then they, it sends the email to them and then they forward it to you. That way they get the data to oh. list your points. That is so smart. Okay. Yeah. I, they've been around for a while and they are great. They've built some really amazing APIs. Yeah. Alexi is the, Alexi's the owner and he's a really good guy. Oh, you've met him. Oh yeah. I've known him for a long time. He's a Whoa. Uh, I know they were excited when they, I'm sure he was excited when they got that deal with Uber. I think that was last year or the year before. I don't remember, but yeah, I mean, it's, he's done great things with his business. Oh, that's yeah. He's helped us all out a lot. And then la- let's see, here's one of my last questions. This is good. It's a little random, but there are people out there who are listening who have a very giving heart and they want to help. And they, I'm sure they will appreciate all the value you've given them. If someone was going to help you in any way, it doesn't have to be points or miles. Is there anything in your life that you're trying to figure out that you're learning about right now, where if someone has some information they could share with you, what would that be? What would, in what area can they help you? As far as any information, like literally, like I said earlier, Google's my friend. I, I've gotten pretty good at Google searches, although yep. it's funny. I'm, I wonder what type of profile they have for me because they build <laughs> profiles based on like your Google searches. And mm-hmm. I do like, some of the most random searches for like, these articles I write. So oh. they, I'm sure they think I'm, they don't know how to pigeonhole me because I'm doing stuff on retirement. I'm doing stuff on insurance, I'm pet insurance and all this other stuff. Like, it's, oh my it's gosh. crazy. But as far as like how people can help me, one, obviously just going to my site and clicking around, seeing what you read and what you like. Uh, but really the main thing I'm focused on right now, which is building up my podcast. It's the We Travel There podcast. It's on all the major podcast platforms, or you can just go to the website, wetravelthere.com, listen to a few episodes. Right now I got over 260 different destinations available. So it's big cities, it's small cities. And essentially what we've created is destination guides for every city where it's just me talking to a local expert about the city they love, talking about the weather, talking about how to get there, how to get around, where to stay, things to do, places to eat. And it's just a lot of great facts so that way you can travel like a local and have a deeper experience with the city versus just having a scrape the surface type of experience. Like I say, like Philadelphia, for example, everybody knows about Pat and Gino's, right? For the cheesesteaks. Yep. But is that more of a touristy thing or is that more like a local thing? And so when I talk to the people for Philly, it's like, where do the locals go eat? Like, where do they go get a cheesesteak? Because they're not waiting in those lines for Pat and Gino's all the time. Nope. They're going to like gyms. They're going to some of these other places that they get some really good cheesesteaks that are just as good, if not better, without the wait, without all the tourists getting in the way and everything else like that. Oh, that's, that is so smart. I love that. It, when you travel to these uh, touristy places, you don't want to travel like a tourist because, yeah, you're going to be overpaying. You're going to be waiting in the long lines. So that's a really great theme for the podcast. And do you happen to throw in any credit travel hacking tips in there about how to get there? I don't do it. So, I don't do it so much. I purposely from the beginning focused on just the destinations, um, but I've thrown in a few like special episodes every so often. Every 10th episode, I now have a special like topic. We've talked about how to start travel hacking how to save money on flights, how to save money at theme parks. I just did a episode with my kids and my wife talking about the best water parks for families. So we do some of the things like that. And I also just partnered with a company called Away where we're embedding their tool into the website where basically it'll show you if you want to look for award search for hotel, like to redeem your hotel points in those cities, 
you'll be able to see what the available inventory is in those cities. What? Sometimes it's probably like 95% accurate or so because some of the hotels are a little wonky with their data and everything. But sometimes it's hard to find availability because their search tools aren't that great. A Waze is really awesome because it makes it super easy to be able to see what is available, what the rates are, what is open as far as space. Because even though a lot of hotels say there's no blackout dates, what a lot of times what they do is they limit the number of rooms that you can book with your certificates or with your points. So that way it's not like 100% utilized with people redeeming points at the hotel. Mm-hmm. So you still favor cash. But so this tool is really amazing. It helps you do your vacation planning. And like we talked about earlier, trying to figure out, okay, in St. Kitts, for example, what hotel options are there. You go to a and type in St. Kitts. I'm going there in June. These are the dates. And it'll show you what the options are as, as well as like how much it costs per night. So it's a wonderful tool. I just started using it. The guy, John, who's the owner, super nice guy. And I definitely support him and everybody. Oh, wow. Okay. that Can you spell the name of that tool? It's an A-W-A-Y-Z, a ways. And then what is there a monthly subscription cost? So like a lot of things, they have a free version and then they have a premium mm-hmm. version and you can use the free version. It's limited in functionality. If you want all the best tools and everything like that, uh, you, you can do the premium version. I actually, on my site, com forward slash aways, I have some different promos and everything like that where he has different promos that are exclusive to people like me that refer people over to his business. Ah, you read my mind. I hope you have an affiliate link. So everyone, if you've enjoyed this episode or these episodes, please go over to Lee's website, use his affiliate links. This really helps everybody out. Anything else that you want to say before we go, or is there anything that you were like, ah, I wish you would have asked me this or any (laughs) final tips for the audience? Last thing is just basically, I'm always looking for guests for my podcast. So if you really love your city and you have a lot of great tips as far as like things to do, places to stay, places to eat, I'd love to hear about it. Go to wetravelthere.com forward slash guest and submit your info. And I'd love to be able to talk to you and learn more about your city. There you have it. Thank you so much again for your time. I'm still working on the sign off for the show, but I'll just say to everyone, remember to keep traveling on purpose. Keep traveling on purpose. Thank you. And we're doing another episode, so I can't wait for that one. That sounds great. All right. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Traveling on Purpose podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and learned a few new things about travel hacking and personal finance. If you did, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It will really help us out. To learn more about travel hacking, be sure to check out our website at vacayhq.com. You can also follow us on social media for the latest tips and tricks. Until next time, happy travels.